By watching or listening to this show, you are acknowledging that you are of legal age to purchase and consume cannabis in your region. This production is for adults only. Have you seen the slash? Made by users for users. Engineered for flavor. One of the coolest features around. A built-in loading tool. Learn more at www.stonesmiths.ca. What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News. Good to be chatting with my good friend David Wiley from the OZ once again for This Week in Cannabis News. You can see if you're watching the beautiful uh, website uh, for Okanagan Z. And uh, of course, uh, David, uh, we chatted last week. Uh, the uh, Ounce magazine is out and uh, it was on digital format and now you have it in uh, actual uh, magazine format, real world format. It's awesome. As an old print journalism reporter, I just love having a printed copy. And uh, I can show you this handsome guy in here hey. who might look familiar if you're watching. I got Dean uh, on the back last hit and a great piece by Dean about athletes and sports and how cannabis might uh, soon become a big part of that world. So. It's uh, great to great to have this, and I uh, will be sending a stack over to you. So, uh, anybody out in your way who wants one, bug Dean for it. I will be dropping <laughs> it off at uh, several stores, and I really do think uh, cannabis. Uh, and, and as our motto is on this show, it's not just about getting high, it's about getting healthy. And cannabis in general can change the complexion, pain management with athletes, recovery, uh, just uh, general enjoyment. So uh, I, hope, I hope people get a, a kick out of the article because uh, I think it really is something that we should be looking at as well. As for uh, the stories that we're going to go with on this week in cannabis news, I think these four stories that we have today are very uh, diverse and uh, some real interesting good news stories. And let's start with a good news financial story because man, so many people think there are no good news financial stories in the cannabis <laughs> industry. But last week we talked about uh, you know the numbers uh, not being correct and it was actually higher and uh, we're getting even higher, 120% increase we're talking about, David. This is uh, the cannabis industry really is growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, it's come out now that $2.6 billion uh, in legal recreational sales took place in 2020. Uh, if you factor that at eight bucks a gram, you're looking at 325 million grams sold. Kind of an interesting way to look at that. Wow. Uh, the tally comes from the monthly figures that were released by Statistics Canada throughout the 2020 calendar year. And December was particularly a good month for Canadian cannabis retailers. That's Christmas time, so I imagine that people were enjoying the holidays and looking at cannabis as a gift. And just under $300 million was sold in that month alone. So to put that into perspective, 2019 calendar year sales were $908 million. So December alone in 2020 sold more than a third 
of what was sold in all of 2019. Um, this also 2020 was the year where legal recreational sales uh, alone overtook illicit sales. And uh, it's just showing that trend on the up. Um, you know, even as we talked last week about the difference between the calendar year sales, $908 million, and the fiscal year sales in 2019 of $1.3 billion, it's an, a stark difference just between those few months uh, that change in the fiscal and calendar year. And Statistics Canada, one of the researchers who monitors these sales numbers, when I talked to him, even he was surprised at how fast the cannabis industry is growing because you don't normally have that big of a gap between a fiscal and a calendar. So, and now we see the difference between 2019 and 2020, and it really is mind boggling. And all provinces across Canada are actually seeing double digit percentage increases in monthly sales totals um, month to month. So it's really a hot, hot industry right now. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and you know, the, the one quote from this article that I really love that we have up on the screen, if you're watching, is that you mentioned it, legal sales of recreational cannabis overtaking illicit sales for the first time. And I, I honestly, I, I didn't think that this was going to, you know, we're two plus years in. This is happening very quick, much faster than I expected. And you know, I think, listen, I think people, uh, there's going to be somebody on, on some block corner probably uh, selling booze some point, just like there's moonshiners uh, still out there doing that. But I think uh, we're seeing a trend and it's only going to get better. And, and at some point, I don't know, do you, do you see the illicit market uh, uh, being almost negligible? I think it'll always be there in some form or fashion. Um I think that we're going to see a lot more home growers as time mm. goes on too. And those sorts of things might have an impact on cannabis retail sales. Uh, but overall, as brick and mortar stores continue to increase, as normalization continues to take place, as the products become more diverse and uh, more uh, familiar to people, particularly when cannabis 3.0 hits and we're seeing products that mimic the ones that we have in our household now, but contain cannabis as regulations um, over CBDEs, uh, the, the industry is just poised for growth upon growth upon growth. Yeah, and you, you know what? That You made a really good point in that, uh, you know, maybe there's people that still are buying from the illicit market that might get into growing their own and then those illicit sales drop that way as well. But it clearly, um, you know, Cannabis sales are up, particularly when you look at the, you know, the, the four biggest provinces when it comes to uh, cannabis retails being Ontario, Alberta, BC, and Quebec, which kind of surprised me because everything I've heard about Quebec is everything is so strict. I mean, you know, they were one of the provinces that wouldn't let people grow. So a little bit surprising. Maybe it speaks to the appetite that people have despite, you know, the even stricter regulations. Yeah, and also just the force of their population. Quebec is a pretty big mm -hmm. area. Um, you know, and whether you uh, come in from a province that is friendly toward it or not friendly toward it, there are all kinds of people within every province that just love the cannabis plant. Indeed. Uh, well, this is a story that, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, an, an outcome, a possible, uh, you know, fixture of what was a very expensive issue for Vancouver pot retailers. 
Oh man, Vancouver City Council voted to cut the $34,000 a year legal cannabis retail fee that they have to pay every year. I mean, that's got to hurt. $34,000 really you could buy you a full-time employee and uh, feels like that's what we should be using that money for. But uh, you know, what they will use it for is up to them. The motion passed last week and Think about it in contrast of liquor stores who pay an annual fee of four hundred and twenty nine dollars. Um, just a sliver. It's 80, 80 times less than what legal cannabis is paying. It's actually the highest fee in Canada and was put into place before legalization um, for medical dispensaries. So uh, Councillor Rebecca Bly from Vancouver says that in response to all this, the illicit market is growing and the legal market is not in Vancouver, which is back asswards. Uh, and she says that the move is meant to help licensed retailers thrive. She says that she hopes that the these retailer fees, once they get uh, updated, hopefully at the end of the year, will be more comparable to the liquor store fees. And as for where that revenue goes from the fee, it's actually spent around enforcement on the illicit market. And uh, so that's that's what that's being used for. Maybe that's a reason why we're seeing um, greater amount of enforcement in Vancouver um, you know, when compared to other parts of the province here. Maybe not. As, as for what's, uh, what's happening with the next steps, city staff have been directed to come back with a recommendation before the licenses need to be re renewed again, December 31st, 2021. So they have some time to figure out uh, what that fee is going to look like. Well, the the kind of the really encouraging thing about this is uh, the, the vote was, I think it was unanimous. I think there was one absentee uh, counselor, but everybody was in favor of this, which is encouraging because as we've often said on this program and, and many others is, the cannabis industry doesn't want any special treatment. This one equal treatment, right? Like we're not asking yeah. as an industry to bend the, the the bylaws. We're just asking us to put us on the same level playing field as everybody else so that we can also be able to feed our families and things like that. And so this is a good step and hopefully there's more steps. You and I have talked about it, uh, you know, whether the, the uh, Canada Health Act and the regulations and the restrictions. They just want level playing field. And, and Vancouver City Council looks like they're putting retail stores in the industry of cannabis on that level playing field with this move. And who gets hit when these fees are so exorbitant? It's the consumer. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, the retailers suffer. But at the end of the day, it's the consumer that pays the price for that fee through the price on weed. And yeah, as that counselor said, that doesn't do anything to combat the illicit market. Yeah, indeed. All right, we have talked about some uh, kind of innovative uh, companies and different things in the past, and uh, this is a story that uh, just warms my heart. Like, this is amazing. And I've had a few um, really environmentally conscious uh, LPs from out east on my program already, and, and I've actually already reached out to this company because I love this idea so much. So tell us about what this Nova Scotia Cannabis Company grower, are do what they're doing. Nova Scotia cannabis producer Aqualita, they're using ocean-sourced plastic containers for their cannabis products. They're based outside of the Atlantic Coast city of Halifax, and uh, they're making the recycled cannabis containers through a partnership with Santa Packaging. Uh, the first order of containers were made using two tons of plastics reclaimed from the ocean. 
Aqualita's products around the country are going to begin transitioning to this new packaging over the next few months. Uh, it's already being used on their five gram containers of their medical cannabis. And now their recreational brand Reef is going to start using the new packaging next month. And these are the kinds of solutions that I think people have been wanting. We've heard so much from cannabis consumers who are interested in purchasing more sustainable types of packaging. We've seen comically large cannabis packaging uh, that's come onto the market and some packaging that just isn't easily recyclable either. So this is a great way to do it. You know, you're using um, plastic out of the ocean and it doesn't have any impact on what the cannabis looks like because if you're still able to uh, ship them out to customers in those protective plastic jars, then you're not uh, getting your buds squished in those little tiny baggies. And that's been my only problem with a more minimal approach to packaging. You know, it just seems like this industry, and in a good way, is always kind of one-upping each other and, and doing something even better. And I had Tanner Stewart from Stewart Farms on, and their bath bombs, everything, including the wrapper on the bath bomb, is 100% bio, biodegradable. And then, you know, here comes Aqualita, and this is another great story about, I just can't believe that they use two tons of reclaimed packaging. It's so smart. Like, it's getting better and better. And, you know, I love the day where we just don't have any more plastic packaging and or you know if it's reclaimed then at least you're using it but man i would love to see the day where we're just all glass i don't know if it'll ever happen i doubt it but glass is obviously the perfect thing but when you can do something like this i mean for me that would make me go want to go out and support this company and you know that's what uh the cannabis industry i think is great product but also kind of a good story that you can get behind yeah, absolutely. And we're literally a green industry. I think that people around the world should be looking at the cannabis industry um, as leaders in sustainability. And I'm looking forward to the day where other products start to look at the way that cannabis is being packaged and sold and uh, use the example being set by cannabis producers and their own uh, products in other sectors. Indeed. Okay, this last story is really interesting. You know, we've been talking about some pretty cool research being done on, you know, the specifics of uh, the plant and and some of the, uh, you know, the viruses that it might be able to fight. And now we're looking at some research on how THC is measured when it comes to impairment. And, you know, this was a really hot topic right out of the gate of legalization. And, it kind of seems to have been quieted down a little bit. So I don't know what's happening, but the, the research in this in this uh, experiment that they did is, is quite interesting. Yeah, it comes from the quest for an effective roadside cannabis test, which has been extremely elusive. Different companies have tried it. Uh, and now a new simulated driving study published this month has found that setting a limit for cannabis and driving uh, and testing for THC in a person's mouth or blood during enforcement just aren't reliable indicators of driving impairment. This isn't the first study to do that kind of research and come to that same conclusion, uh, but it is the latest. So we've got researchers from the University of Sydney in Australia, as well as Baltimore-based um, John, Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. They found that these types of tests just are un unable to accurately assess when or how much cannabis has been taken by an individual. 
And that's different from a blood alcohol concentration. You know, the standard test for roadside stops uh, to find out if someone's been drinking a little too much before driving. You pull them over and get them to blow into that test. Uh, Works fine with alcohol, but there's an inconsistency between impairment and THC concentrations. Uh, The authors of the study concluded that there really is a pressing need to develop improved methods of detecting cannabis intoxication and impairment. Um, Looking forward to when they're able to do that because it certainly seems like the the, um, technology to do so is not there, uh, not developed. Yeah, and and listen, I think that this is something that you know, we need to have an accurate test so we can keep impaired drivers off the roads. But it's such a different kind of ball of wax, if you will, and not the kind of wax that you would use in the uh, uh, the, the slash from Stonesmiths. But <laughs> it's such a weird kind of ball of wax with this. And, and, and their study kind of even proves it where, you know, the, the one quote where they say, in two cases, one volunteer had a positive THC result, but displayed minimal impaired driving. Whilst the another volunteer had a negative THC result, but driving impairment was profound. So, you know, and, 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 and we know this about cannabis is everybody reacts differently because of the endo, the, the individual endocannabinoid system that we have within us. So, you know, somebody could uh, have a joint and, and be really, really look impaired and another person could have the same thing and be totally fine. So, this this just has to be nailed down 100% or all these things or a lot of these cases could be overturned down the road if they're in indeed, uh, you know, charged with something. Yeah, I think that they need to get it right the first time, um, you know, rather than ruining people's lives over a, a faulty test. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I chuckled at in that part of the research where they said that someone had zero impairment and, and yet still drove like they were impaired and I thought that they really called out some poor schmuck for his or her <laughs> terrible driving abilities. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, they weren't impaired. Like, they're just a bad driver. You're right. That's <laughs> Australia's worst drivers contestant <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, you know, but that, like you said, I think that the, the big takeaway from a lot of these studies is really that uh, THC affects people very differently um depending on how much they take and you only have to look at uh edibles to see that you know one person at 2.5 milligrams is in space and another person can ingest 1000 milligrams and still be feeling fine so i i don't get it i'm thankful for all this research because maybe they'll have an explanation as to why i'm such a lightweight (laughs) well and and we you're right The, the the point you made there before was absolutely number one is that you know, whether you're uh, acquitted from uh, an impaired driving charge or not doesn't take away, like even if you're acquitted in the end or it's overturned, doesn't take away from all the stuff that you probably had to go through in the first place when you might not have been impaired, but you I, maybe it was from the day before. I'm not exactly sure how it works. So, um, you know, just getting charged with a, an impaired uh, charge, uh, you know, getting an impaired charge uh, can be just so disruptive. And if you weren't impaired in the first place, yeah. uh, that's that's even worse. So you can't, 
Um, you know, people think that you could just go and get it overturned and your life is good. Well, no, people, people don't forget sometimes. And, you know, what happened if you had lost your license and you depended on it? So you're absolutely right. This has to be done right from the start in the, in the most correct way. And I've even heard that, you know, smoking a joint, um, you test differently than maybe if you had a drink or an edible or something. And so there's, there's so many discrepancies out there with any kind of testing that's going on right now because it's so new. And this was the thing that I always thought was holding up legalization. I thought there was never going to be legalization until there was a roadside test, which which they probably should have had developed before they, they legalized, but still um, they, there has to be um, the, you know, the, the discrepancies absolutely have to be fixed in this situation. Yeah. And that's the challenge. There just is no reliable test right now. And when it comes to impaired driving, I mean, let's be real, you're, you're guilty until proven innocent after mm. you get pulled over and, uh, and fail any kind of a roadside impairment test. Yeah, 100% well said. Uh, you can check out the OZ at OkanaganZ.com. You can download the digital copy of uh, the new magazine. I can't wait to get my hands on the actual magazine. And uh, when I do, I'll be getting it out to some great stores. So check out OkanaganZ.com and uh, find them on Twitter at OkanaganZ. David, thanks as always for joining me, man. Have a great week. You too, my friend. and follow us on social media at the cannabis 101 on twitter at the cannabis 101 podcast on instagram and at the canna 101 podcast on facebook you can email us at cannabis 101 podcast at gmail.com